This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. All you need is a thousand followers that'll pay you a hundred dollars a year. And that's a legit business. I mean, just to give you a sense of it, the numbers stagger me. The average household median income in the US is 50,000. And if you have a thousand followers that are gonna pay you a hundred bucks a year, that's a hundred thousand dollars. So the power of a creator and their ability to connect with that follower, even if it's a small base, is so powerful. Welcome to The Real Reel, where I take you behind the Instagram reel and into the real lives of entrepreneurs, content creators, and anyone who inspires me and may inspire you too. I'm your host, Natalie Barbu, and let's get into it. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Real Real Podcast with me, Natalie Barbu. I am very excited for this episode. So excited. I want to have more people like this on the podcast. So please let me know what you think because this is my favorite topic. It's the topic of startups, starting a business, entrepreneurship, and then the creator economy slash social media. You guys are going to be obsessed with this podcast just like I was. I'm actually, I never re-listen to my podcast. So that's a fun fact. I do not listen to my episodes. I don't listen to the episodes that I was on. I don't listen to the episodes I record. They just go up and I don't want to hear my voice again because I hear my voice way too much in the editing process of editing my videos, my TikToks, all of that stuff. It's just, I, I don't need, I don't need to hear it again. This one though, I will probably need to hear again because it was so good. I had such a lovely conversation and I cannot wait for you guys to hear that. But before that, I wanted to give you a little high and low of the week. I love filling you guys in this way. I think it's such a good way to reflect on the week. And if you can't tell by my voice, I'm in a good mood. And not that I'm like not usually in a good mood because that sounds kind of sad, but I'm just in a good mood today. So I'm currently in Chapel Hill, actually. I'm back in North Carolina and I'm actually here because Keon's brother has a lacrosse game here. So he plays lacrosse and their team is actually playing UNC. And so his whole family is here and his parents actually got married in Raleigh and they went to school at Duke and NC State for their residency programs. And so I am here here in Chapel Hill and they are like kind of back in their old stomping grounds, I guess, from when they were younger. So it's kind of cool to experience that with them because obviously the Triangle area has changed so much and North Carolina has changed so much since they've been here. But it also gives me an an excuse to work with my team and see my siblings and see my family. So back in North Carolina for the week. I would say my high is either coming to North Carolina or finally, 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 you guys, having investor meetings. I have booked so many meetings. I just had two this morning, like before recording this. I just had two investor meetings and they've been going pretty well. Don't want to get my hopes up, obviously, but actually... No, I do want to get my hopes up because I know what's going to happen. I know we're going to raise money. I'm confident in what we're building. I'm confident in our story. I think we have an amazing product. We have an amazing team and we have an amazing community. You guys are the absolute best. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, I created an app called Rella. I'm probably going to talk about it in this podcast, but create an app called Rella. You can download it if you are an influencer. It's definitely going to help you run your business. We just launched our MVP, so like the simplest version of it, and we're launching like so many new features and you guys are helping out with it. So it's just going to be incredible. But anyways, I would say that finally breaking through with investor meetings has been the best part. And I would say my low of the week, I love that I can never think of a low of the week. I would say my low every week has been how insecure I've been 
I have been so insecure because of my acne and it just never seems to get better no matter what I do. So I would say that that is the low of the week because I have tried everything. I've spent hundreds, hundreds, guys, of dollars, hundreds of dollars on skincare, on supplements, on everything, and it just like nothing works. And so I would say that that's my low of constantly being insecure. Yesterday, I didn't want to go to like get drinks with Keon's family even because I was just so insecure about my acne. I ended up going anyways, but like I literally had an internal battle being like, should I go? Should I not go? Like I'm literally so insecure. And it was with his family. Like I just don't want to be seen in public. My makeup slides off my face. I am so oily. I feel like I'm freaking 15 years old again. And it's just been the worst. It's been the absolute worst. So I would say that's continuously my low. And I know it might sound superficial and shallow to say that my low is like my appearance, but if you have acne, you know it can take such a toll on your self-esteem. And so that is 100% my low. And if you have acne, I completely feel you. And it's really hard. Like I literally don't want to go out in public and I get so insecure and I feel like everyone's just looking at my face. Yeah, but overall, it's been a good week. So I'm not going to let that, you know, bring me down. But it's definitely one of my biggest, if not actually, no, it is my biggest insecurity right now. And it's just been really hard being 25 and having a face full of acne for the past six months and literally nothing helps. But anyways, besides that, it's been a good week and people have finally been receptive of our pitch and wanting to talk to us. And it's been incredible. So that that has been overall net positive. But anyways, today we are talking to Seema Gandhi. She is incredible, guys. If you don't know who she is, you will now. Seema Gandhi is the co-founder and CEO of Creative Juice, which is an innovative company that combines banking and social media in one place. And I'm sure you've heard of Creative Juice. And if you haven't, I'm sure that you've heard of Mr. Beast. Mr. Beast actually backed them and he's like part of the company, which is really cool. So that's really cool. They've gotten a lot of positive press about that. And he's been like wanting to invest in Creative creators and kind of like helping with creative juice. So I think that that's incredible. But we're talking about Seema here. Seema is the amazing woman behind creative juice. Her whole career has been in financial services and she wanted to build something that would help grow the creator economy. So she initially dreamt of working in the corporate world, but quickly learned that she had too much energy and too many ideas to stay in her nine to five and jumped into working for a startup and eventually into owning her own business. Literally, it sounds a lot like me. I didn't really want to be in the corporate world, so maybe not. But like, I, I, I don't like when people are like, "Oh, I'm not made for the corporate life," because I'm like, who is like who is made to sit behind a desk from nine to five? Like, no one. But some people like more structure. Some people like having like a set of responsibilities and doing those and having a daily to do list and having you know not have every responsibility fall on you. So I think there's kind of like two types of people in that sense. Whereas I'm the type of person who I need to be on my own and I have too many ideas. And I don't like structure as much. And so that is something that like I really, really enjoy the startup and like being a founder and being an entrepreneur lifestyle. So we're similar in that sense. But the creator economy, if you guys are not familiar, is set to exceed $30 billion this year. But there is still a disconnect when creators ask for financial support from a conventional bank. So SEMA offers an alternative. And I can say from firsthand experience that Creative Juice is incredible. I have a bank account on Creative Juice. I highly recommend it for creators. I think it's incredible. And I definitely think that Creative Juice and Rella go hand in hand in kind of like the mission that we're building. So some things that we talked about is wanting to build a company that was a different culture from like the typical Silicon Valley culture. As female founders, it's something that we both really resonated with and how important culture is and how none of us fit into that like tech bro 
vibe, you know, of a company. The reason why I like really, really love documenting my experience on YouTube of like the startup journey is because when I try to find content like that, it's literally all like tech bros and I just can't relate. And I wanted to create something for female founders and not even just for female founders, but for people who don't fit into that necessary mold. But we also talk a lot about really amazing tips, not even just about entrepreneurship, but also about like finding a job that brings you joy and gives you energy, finding an amazing co-founder that was like that's in alignment with your values and also like the yin and yang in content creation, which I feel like a lot of people are talking about now, which combines business and the creative side. So we talk all about how to build an amazing team based on values, content strategy and the importance of consistency over frequency, which I literally preach all the time, the future of the creator economy and key messages to help it grow and how she built loyal relationships with some of the top creators like Mr. Beast, Shelby Church, which is one of my friends, and Carter Sharer. So anyways, I know that you guys are going to be obsessed with this episode. Definitely check out Creative Juice and I hope that you guys love it. If you're listening, please give it five stars. If you did enjoy this episode, you can also rate it on Spotify now, which is really cool. And also, if you would like, please take a screenshot of this and show me where you guys are listening. I love seeing where you guys actually tune into my episodes. Anyways, thank you guys for listening and let's get into the episode. Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn can be in your hands today as it should with Earnin. Earnin is an app that is changing the game when it comes to getting paid. Imagine having access to the money you've earned as you work, not just waiting for payday. With Earnin, you can access up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Just download the Earnin app and verify your paycheck. Then access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So think about it. The next time you're planning a special night out, you need a last minute gift for a loved one, or you face an unexpected expense, like maybe a trip to the vet, Earnin has you covered. For me, it's about having the flexibility to handle those surprise expenses that life throws my way. So whether it's unexpected bills or needing to cover rent when things are tight, Earnin gives me peace of mind knowing that I have access to my hard-earned cash when I need it most. Make Earnin a part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability, security. It gives me a lot of peace of mind. Download Earnin today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earnin app, type Real Real under podcast when you sign up. It really helps the show, so please don't forget that step. Real Real under podcast. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Let's talk about styling hair because it is a whole production, especially when you are battling frizz. And take it from me, I live in Miami, Florida. It is about to be summer. I really know frizz, but honestly, I would rather be doing something else like booking a spontaneous vacation to St. Bart's or rewatching the Eras tour for like the third time. You know, the important stuff. But who actually has time for frizz? Introducing Waze new anti-frizz cream. It is like a superhero for your hair. It provides immediate frizz control that lasts up to 72 hours. I actually brought it on a trip with me and my friend borrowed it and she purchased it right then and there because it was that good. So how does this fit into my hair routine? It is 
the best thing I could have done for my hair. I am all about saving time and the anti-frizz cream does just that. Plus the Sydney inspired North Bondi scent is so amazing. You can thank bergamot, Italian lemon violet and more. And as someone who is always concerned about heat damage because I definitely use a lot of heat on my hair, this anti-frizz cream provides heat protection, which is such a big relief. And my hair feels so much lighter and looks smoother after using it. Get busy being frizz free with Way's new anti-frizz cream. It's not just about taming frizz. It also provides heat protection up to 450 degrees, reduces and repairs split ends, quenches dry hair with intense hydration. And according to a consumer perception study, 90% of participants agreed that their hair looked less frizzy after using it. I can definitely contest that. And while you're at it, check out Way's other bestsellers like the leave-in conditioner, which I also use, detox shampoo, fragrances, hair oils, and hair gloss. They're all essential for achieving that salon-worthy look at home. So you can frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com and enter promo code RealReal for 15% off any product. That's T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com, promo code RealReal. Hi, Seema. Thanks so much for coming on my podcast. Thanks so much, Natalie, for having me here. I'm really excited to chat. I'm so excited. I know this was something that we've been wanting to do for a while, and I feel like so many people need to hear about Creative Juice and just hear about your story. So I'm very excited to dive in. But before we do that, I want to start with setting the record straight, which is just some like stereotypes, some assumptions. You'll let me know if they're true or false based on your experiences. So the very first one is that content creators are entrepreneurs. True. They're amazing entrepreneurs. It's interesting the shift that happened from like, oh, I just like post on social media for fun to like, no, this is a business. <laughs> you know, what's the coolest part about it? At least what I've observed is that some of the best creator entrepreneurs are the ones that just so genuinely feel passion about what they're doing. And it's, it starts as fun. And then it just kind of snowballs from that. And I think that's part of the power of the creator is that that authenticity and that excitement about what they're creating really translates into the audience. And there's just no way to fake that. Like mm-hmm. that's one of the biggest things I've learned over the past year working with so many creators is that excitement is just so genuine and it's really cool. Yeah. I always say like social media opens up so many doors. Like even if you did just start this for fun with no intention of it, you know, turning into anything, I think just the amount of doors that it opens is insane. Like you're not going to know about that until you actually like dive in and do it. Totally true. That power of human connection and being able to communicate in such a fun and clear way. It's a real skill. Mm -hmm. Content creators, entrepreneurs with real skill. Agreed. And the next one is that you don't need a certain amount of followers to start making money on social media. I'm going to mess this up with a false negative. You don't need a certain amount of followers. True. I think you can do this with even a small number of followers. There's a great quote. I think Legion said it. It's all you need is a thousand followers that'll pay you a hundred dollars a year. And that's a legit business. I mean, just to give you a sense of it, the numbers stagger me. The average household median income in the US is 50,000. And if you have a thousand followers that are going to pay you a hundred bucks a year, that's a hundred thousand dollars. So the power of a creator and their ability to connect with that follower, even if it's a small base, is so powerful. And you can start making money and making this a full-time living, doing what you believe in by just kind of continuing to have fun with it and and really think about it as an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. I always think like it's about your engagement. It's about the amount of like loyal followers that you have, because some people have hundreds of thousands of followers and like you look at who's following them and you see their engagement and you see like the amount of people that actually care about what they're posting. And it's so small. So like, I don't get impressed by seeing someone that has like a ton of followers. I get impressed if they have like built a loyal following out of that. 
You're so spot on. And I think that's an interesting shift that's starting to happen is up until probably pretty recently, a lot of brands and I think outside folks looking in at the creative economy thought, well, I have to be working with the biggest creator in order to make the biggest impact. And I think what shift is starting to happen is it's about the community that the creator has and that genuine connection and that engagement, which opens up so many possibilities for the creator economy because it's about tapping into groups that really resonate with your product or really resonate with what you're trying to advocate for. So I totally agree with you. Mm -hmm. And the last one is that the creator economy is oversaturated. False. (laughs) I agree. I am passionate about this one. (laughs) Why? What, What about it really sparks for you? I just always think like whenever people say something is oversaturated, I'm like, one, the creator economy is so new. Like, how could it be oversaturated when it's only been around for like 10 years or something? You know, it's really been 10, 12, 13 years it's been around. And like, you would never tell like an artist or on Spotify to like, don't put your music out because there's enough music already. Or like, don't open up a new restaurant because we have enough restaurants already. Like you'll find people that want to go there. You'll find people that want to listen to your music. You'll find people that want to watch your videos or see your content. It's not like if you post, then no one else, like you're taking away from someone else. People just now have more options. So that's always like the example that I use, but I really, I, I just hate when people say it's oversaturated because I just don't think it is. <laughs> I agree with you. And, you know, it's really cool. I think some of the things that you're building as well, right, are going to help creators make sense of it. I think the biggest challenge for creators is just how to start thinking about themselves like entrepreneurs and how to be a business. There's such a stereotype that creators are only like the creative people, like total right brain, can't do the left brain side. And the more that companies are out there and creators kind of start changing the way they think about that, I think just the bigger the creative economy will expand. So I am with you. We are far from oversaturated. Yeah. I mean, I also think like for me, I don't view myself as that creative of a person. Like I think I'm very analytical and you know I like the business side of things that's why like I love what creative juice is doing because like your dashboards are like so beautiful but then I can like see my analytics and I'm like oh yes this is what I need or like yeah don't get me wrong I like seeing people that are creative but I view myself as more of like an analytical businessy person that just happens to like like putting out content that like provides value I my content is not the most like the film is amazing and like the quality is the best. It's really just like, I'm here to put out value and to like hope people view me as like a friend on the internet or something like that. So I I don't think you have to necessarily be creative. It's so amazing to hear you say that because so many, or the stereotype at least with the creator is the opposite, which is I'm creative. I'm not analytical. And to hear someone like you, who I think a lot of people would look up to as like a creative, very prominent YouTuber say, I think of myself as a business person first is really amazing. I hope more and more creators can embrace that side of themselves that just because you appreciate the business or analytical side doesn't make you any less of a creator. Those things can really live together. Mm -hmm. I, I agree. I think that we'll start seeing that shift, especially as like people are being more transparent about the business side of things. We'll start seeing it a little bit more. But I also want to talk about you and your background because, I mean, it's amazing that you are the CEO of Creative Juice and that, you know, you're building out this product that is so amazing. And so were you always wanting to be an entrepreneur? Like, was your childhood very entrepreneurial? Were you like, that's what I want to do when I'm older? Like, what was that like growing up? So, you know, I grew up, my my parents are immigrants to this country and they kind of hustled their way to making a living. And that meant working through small businesses. And I think I had this opposite reaction actually growing up, which was I wanted to make it in the big corporate world and that seemed more legitimate versus this like hustling thing that they did. And 
what I learned through that experience, and it seems so obvious now, but I, I kind of had to figure it out for myself, was that different companies have different cultures. And you know, if you're told you're too aggressive or not too aggressive or slow down, you're moving too fast or you're moving too slow, speed up, like there's nothing wrong with you. It's about finding a place that actually lets you play to your strengths. So all of that is to say big corporate world's not right for me. I was often told I'm moving too fast, slow down, and I had too much energy. There was more that I wanted to build. And so I actually um, jumped out of that and went to a small fintech startup called Plaid. And that was back in 2015. And I was employee number 15 and it felt super risky. And, you know, Plaid grew on to be a really great and amazing business and have a lot of really great friends and memories from that time. And when I left Plaid, I thought, there's no way I'm going to go found my own company. That is too much work. No way. Thank you very much. And ultimately, the reason I ended up founding Creative Juice with my co-founder, Ezra, is two reasons. One, I so believe that this product needed to exist. My whole career has been in financial services, helping people who don't have access to great financial services get better access. And I think creators are such amazing businesses and people, but there's a lot that could be better in the financial services that they have access to. And I wanted to see if we could build something that really serves them in an authentic way. And second, I wanted to build a company that reflected a different type of culture. I think there's a lot around Silicon Valley stereotypes and, you know, they tend to be a bit more masculine around what a successful company needs to look like. And I believe that cultures and the way that things are done don't change until more different types of people do it. And the only way for me to really do that wasn't joining a company as a COO or being, you know, number two somewhere. It was really starting my own company and building a company with a culture that reflected my values. And I think the team is amazing. And I'm really excited about that part of the journey as well, because, you know, I really hope that that reflects into the creator economy as well. Yeah. I mean, I think that's incredible. And not only that you decided to kind of go off on your own and make that riskier choice, because I mean, let's be honest, like you could have been working your way up a corporate ladder and like been super, super successful and, you know, been a little bit more secure, quote unquote. But I think it's so much more inspiring and admirable when you leave that security and you go off and do your own thing and do something that you really, really believe in and that actually is going to help other people. And I mean, speaking of that, were you involved in the creator economy before? I know your background was fintech, but how did you get involved in like the creator world and like social media and stuff like that? So on, on that whole point about the creator or the corporate ladder and, and leaving that, I do want to say for anyone listening, like the one piece of advice I give for anyone doing anything and this applies to your work as a creator or to anyone that's trying to figure out the career is try to figure out what gives you the most energy and gets you most excited. And I think once you do that, like the sooner you can figure that out and lock out what gives you joy, the more successful you're going to be. I, I think it sounds so cheesy. Just do what makes you happy and it'll all work out. But I actually really genuinely believe that. So think about that. The second part of your, your question there around how I got introduced to the creative economy, I knew nothing. <laughs> Don't really watch YouTube. You know, my Instagram was 200 people and it was only my close friends. Like I set up a Twitter account in 2013 and I had like, zero tweets. I just started recently trying to explore. I didn't even have TikTok downloaded on my app, my phone. <laughs> so why am I doing this? I think, you know, my co-founder Ezra has spent the last 20 years working with creators. He was there in the early days of YouTube and is now working with awesome creators like Mr. Beast, Carter, Preston. And we met and he started sharing about his experiences and these creators. And 
I just really genuinely believed something really resonated. And maybe it's the same reason I left corporate America to go to a startup. There's something really amazing about individual creators who are starting businesses around them, doing what they're passionate about and connecting with people outside of the traditional institution. It's like you can build your fans based off who you are without you know, a big media conglomerate or a big brand saying, no, this is what is going to appeal to the most number of people. And that type of heterogeneity is actually really amazing. Like you look at Liza Koshy, she kind of made it on YouTube and she just posted, you know, the New Year's Eve ball drop, which is amazing. And growing up, I would never have seen someone like that on TV. And so the power to unlock diversity, community, like niche brands through the creator economy is very exciting to me in a really genuine way. And so I'm really excited to help creators grow through banking and financing and supporting them on the business side because there's so much good here. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's interesting that your co-founder did have that experience and you are automatically resonated with them because I don't think you need to be, you know, immersed in the industry to resonate. And I think that's why the creator economy is so powerful because you can like turn on YouTube or turn on TikTok and find someone that you really love. And you're like, oh my God, I relate to them so much, so much more than if you turned on the TV or Netflix. And so I think that it's not like you need to spend years working in it to understand the power of it. You honestly just need to like go on social media and you'll find someone, you know? And like, I think that that's like really cool about the difference between creators online versus like traditional talent on, you know, Netflix and TV and movies and all of that. Yeah. The other thing you can do is just talk to anyone that's under the age of 10. (laughs) (laughs) My four-year-old is like, I don't watch cartoons. I watch YouTube. And, you know, I was just talking to my nephew and he's like, you know, you can make a living on YouTuber and you just got to practice really hard. And I was like, well, is that something that you think you want to do? And he's like, I don't know. You have to work really hard on it. And you know, it's about what you choose to spend your time on. And I was like, wow, <laughs> that's crazy. Because when I started and I'm going to like date myself, I guess, but like when I started, I was 15, 10 years ago and I was made fun of and like, it was weird. And everyone was like, what the heck are you doing? Talking to people online? This is the weirdest thing. And like people would play my videos and like mock me and all of that, you know, and it's like now kids are like, yeah, it's a lot of hard work. I'm like, wow, the shift that has happened. Like, I'm so grateful for it. I'm sorry. And kudos to you. I mean, you're really one of the early ones who saw the opportunity and built an amazing scholarship and it takes real vision and courage too. And, you know, I hope that more and more folks hear people like you and hear people like you talk about the business side of it because yes, you can have fun with it. You can be passionate, but there's definitely like the business component to being able to enable your passion. And the more we can get the word out about that, I think the bigger creator economy can get. Yeah, thank you. And I'm so curious always about the first step because I think that that's always the scariest part. If people want to even like start on social media, if people want to start a business, it's that first step that stops people. It's like, I don't even know where to begin. So where did you start with Creative Juice? Like what was that first step of like, we're going to build this together? I know you have a co-founder. So what, what were kind of both of your thoughts on like what the first thing is going to be that you guys do? The first thing was really talking to a lot of creators and understanding what they wanted. Where we landed now is very different from where we started, but that ability to connect with people, hear it firsthand, understand their business intimately was really important. And I'd say that for anyone who's thinking about product. And actually I'm talking to a couple of creators who are designing their own products and you know they were asking about product best practices. And I'd say, it, and number one, talk to your audience, talk to the folks that you're trying to build for. The second thing was really building the right team. 
I know just a few things. <laughs> I don't know very much. I can't code. Um, you know, I know what I'm good at and I know what I'm not good at. And I think the most important thing for any type of company, and you probably feel this the way with Relf, right, is um, building great teams and people around you. And there's no way we could have gotten to where we are without the right people. So first talking to creators and number two, just tapping the right people to join the team. Yeah. And I feel like it, the team is so important. And my background, I was always doing everything on my own. You know, I was on, I was doing social media full-time and everything like that I did was all me. You know, I was answering emails. I was, you know, editing video, like all of that was just me. So that was something that I really struggled with was like, how do I like vet people? How do I hire people? Like, how do I know it's the right fit? So like, how do you choose like good team members for your company? Like, what do you look for when you're, you're picking out the starting, starting players? I think the first thing is values. Um, I know this sounds really cliche because it's like, well, we need to build what the skill set, but it's really the values because that's how you work. It's the shared understanding you bring to the table. And especially as you grow bigger, that value alignment is what enables you to do more. So one of the first things that I did was put down what our values are as a company. And if you look at our website, there are things like live your best life, you know, play to your strengths. And when we translate that to an interview or talking to someone, it's about, hey, look, we really believe in living your best life, which means, you know, independence, right? But also accountability, like the way that we can let people be super flexible. And if you need to duck out for three hours in the morning because you want to surf or go do your own social media or whatever it is, like we're trusting you to make up the time on your own. And we don't really want to build a culture of micromanaging. And so for some people, that's not what they're interested in. They want a nine to five with very locked hours and they want more prescriptive work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so right off the bat, even if they're super skilled, it's not going to be a good fit. So that's an example of one of the values or playing to your strengths, right? We really believe in a culture of no one is good at everything and understanding what you're good at and what you're not the best at is very important and being open about that. It's not about investing all of your time into being good at something you're not good at. It's about being self-aware and saying, Hey, I need help here because I'm not super good at it. And it's going to take me like three weeks to do this thing that could take you like an hour. Can you please help me? And so that type of value alignment and willingness to talk about yourself and be aware about yourself in the same way helps us gel together as a team. So those are just two examples of some of the values that we have. And then uh, second, being really crisp on the role. I think um, once someone gets through the values alignment, Sometimes, especially for newer hiring managers, it's like, I don't know, I kind of need someone that does this finance thing, right? Or takes care of the money, but what exactly do you need them to do? And so really taking the time up front to understand, is that help setting up QuickBooks and then monitoring that and you know, invoicing, what exactly do you need them to do? Making sure that's really crisp. And I always encourage people to put pen to paper because then that's codified. It forces you to actually get really clear on what you're looking for. Massive. And it also makes sure that you're on the same page as the person. Because the worst thing, you know, is someone starts and they're like, wait, what's my job? <laughs> I didn't think it was that. So again, it's number one, values alignment. Really think about what's important to you and a team and the, the, the things that you want people to bring to the table every day. And then number two, making sure you're really crisp on the role and there's strong alignment with the person that you want to bring on. to re-listen to this and like write these notes down because this is so helpful. And I do think that it's so crucial for when you do have a team and you're building out a team, because like you said, it's one of the most important things. And it's one of the first things that you should do, but it's also so critical, especially early on. It's like, the, I think one of the most important things that you can do. And I know you also have a co-founder. So 
how would you find like a good co-founder? How did you guys meet? Did you guys, you know, know each other for a long time? And like, what are you looking for when you do have a co-founder? Because I know a lot of people that listen to this are, you know, interested in starting their own company and starting their own business. So I think it's a really common question and it goes south very very easily. And and it's really common to go south with a co-founder. Yeah, you're spot on. You know, I met a lot of people. And again, I wasn't looking to start a company. So even when I met Ezra, it wasn't like, oh, great, this is the co-founder. So I can start my company. You know, he coming from this world had a lot of passion for the creator space. And I wouldn't do this company with just anyone. I really believe that it's important to be authentic, right? And he brings that authenticity for the creator space to the table. And you know, as we got to know each other and I thought the business was super interesting and that there was such a big opportunity here. And I started thinking about him as a potential co-founder. I used the same rubric that I described earlier, which is one, what about values? Is this someone I could work with? Do we have similar working styles? Is there honesty? Is there integrity? Like what's important to me? Um, Is this someone I can be real with, right? Can we have the hard conversations? And, you know, we did have some really hard conversations up front and it made us stronger as a unit because there's trust there and that openness where you're not feeling like you can hide something. And so that kind of peer relationship and that openness was really important to me. Life is short. I wanted someone that there's no drama around. It's just like, get the work done. Right. And sometimes when we talk to each other, it's like, Hey, I need us. Blah, 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 blah. There's not like a, Hey, how are you? But you know what? That works for both of us. Right. And again, it's being on the same page there. And then second, just being really clear on what our roles were, who's CEO, who's not, what does it mean to be CEO, who makes final decisions, like what are roles and responsibilities and, you know, making sure that there were those two pieces of tight understanding was really important. And, you know, we're over a year in now, I think we've done some amazing things in a very short amount of time. And I'm really excited to see where we end up at the end of this year. But what I'd say is, you know, starting your own company kind of has some similarities to being a creator in some ways. Like you're really putting yourself out there. You don't know where it's going to take you ultimately at the end of the day. And sometimes that can be kind of scary, right? It can be a real mind mess and surrounding yourself with really great people, including a co-founder or teammates that you can lean on and really find great camaraderie with helps make that journey seem so much more doable. And so, you know, I think for a lot of creators that, especially that solopreneur journey can feel really hard. And, you know, I really hope that we can through banking and financing and being that business partner, bring some of that loneliness down by making it, you know, feel like you're part of something that someone's got your back. And so, you know, for me as a founder, for creators, I think there's a lot of similarity there in building that community and and a trusted co-founder or partner with you. Yeah. I think it's such good advice because people a lot of times kind of get into it just out of the excitement in the beginning. And then that excitement wears off and, you know, you start working together and you start like disagreeing and you start like going through some struggles and challenges. And that's, I think, when you see the true colors of, of people and it's kind of like marriage in a way. Like I was just about to say that. I was <laughs> like, are you talking about a co-founder or are you talking about marriage? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're one of the same kind of, you know, like it's like you honestly probably will spend more time with your co-founder than like your partner. Like I feel like I, I spend so much time on the phone with my co-founders and like my boyfriend, I'm like, I'll talk to you at the end of the day. Like I'm like <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think it's I think it's really important. But I just I always want to stress that because I mean I think that I've heard so many stories of co-founders that split and, you know, go their separate ways. And I think it's really important to talk about, but I also want to kind of switch gears and talk a little bit more about the creator economy as well, because as someone who has been in it for 10 years, I feel like I kind of know the ins and outs of it, but you kind of recently immersed yourself. And there's so much that I think 
I like have just kind of felt comfort in. And like, I, I love hearing it from other people's perspectives and people that are working on like companies that are really solving problems for creators. And so I'd love to hear like, now that you're immersed in it, what are some metrics that you see that creators like need to focus on to grow their business? Cause you're coming kind of coming from it as like a business perspective. So what are some numbers or some metrics or any like key things that you like want to stress to creators that these are things that you need to look for to grow your business? So one, I think about evergreen content. Um, so this is something that we're actually measuring for creators as well on, on YouTube in particular. Evergreen means that your content continues to generate revenue because it's it continues to be relevant over time. So for example, top 10 trends for January 1st, 2021 or 22, right? That's not going to be interesting on January 2nd. That's like a one day thing. And so you may put a lot of time and effort into it. It may be awesome on that one day, but it's not going to generate a ton of revenue over time. And that's tough from a business perspective because you want things that are going to generate revenue consistently. So think about what you can do that's going to be relevant over time. Some great examples are Patty Galloway. He does some great videos on YouTube made for other YouTubers on how to think about best practices and growing your YouTube video and breaking down really different types of videos and practices. That is awesome evergreen content. It will do well in perpetuity. And you can see this in his view counts because they continue to grow over time. So think about when you're when you're formulating your content strategy. Yes, follow your passion, but also try to be a little strategic around the type of content that's going to stay in perpetuity over time. Second, it's not about frequency. It's about consistency. I think a lot of creators have burnout. <laughs> I have to post on TikTok two times a day and then Instagram and YouTube. That is just a recipe for burning yourself out. You know, the YouTube algorithms work more off consistency, post once a week, you know, the same time, you know, once every two weeks, whatever it is, like take a schedule, be consistent, similar to your other platforms and pace yourself for the long run. These things take time. It's what you said earlier, that sometimes it's that first step out of the gate. That's, that's the hardest. So set yourself up for success with manageable goals. And that's probably the third one, right? The set goals for yourself. Like this is a business. Yes. You know, you want to make sure you're feeling the creative energy and what moves you on a certain day, but at the same time, take some goals for what you want to accomplish, right? This is 2022. It's a new year. What do you want to be at the end of the year? Like, do you want 10,000 followers on Instagram? Do you want an engagement rate that's really high? Do you want to develop your brand? Like figure out what's really important to you. The top three things, because you can't do everything, right? Put them down on paper and then make a plan for getting there and setting goals that measure yourself along the way. And I know it sounds super simple, but it's such an important discipline and it'll keep you focused and prioritized because there's going to be a lot of awesome, shiny things along the way. And staying focused on the goals and what's really important to you will just optimize your chances of hitting them. I, I really love that. And what you said about the evergreen content is so true because I just posted a video about how much money I made on YouTube AdSense in 2021. And my evergreen content is the content that made me most of my money. So if you look at my top five most generated or yeah, highest revenue of 2021, it was not my vlogs. It was not, you know, the content that I honestly posted 90% of the time. It was the 10% where content that honestly, some of, most of it actually wasn't even posted that year. My top video that earned me like the highest revenue was posted October, 2018, three years ago. Amazing. And it's still to this day, my highest. You see confused kind of over time, continue to grow. Yeah. It's crazy. So like this year, I think that video has maybe like 500,000 views total, but this year 
alone, or last year, I guess I should say alone, it reached 85,000 views, you know? So like, it's still growing, not as much as like the earlier years, but it's still making me a lot of money. And like the RPM on that is super, super high. And my other ones have, one of them was from 2020. So from the previous year, another one was from like earlier, the very first week of 2021 that just like consistently does well. Like none of the videos were vlogs and that's most of my content. So it really made me like take a step back and be like, whoa, Mm -hmm. I need to not post as many vlogs. Vlogs are great for my followers that are, you know, like very loyal. And I think it helps build an engaged audience. So I don't want to ever like neglect them, but I can't only post this. Like, and that's like all I was posting for months. So it really got me thinking, like, I need to sit down and figure out like what content is really going to provide value and going to last for a long time. And I think I've noticed with evergreen content, usually they flop in the beginning. It's like, they don't get a lot of views in the very beginning. Like your first week, it's not going to be your highest video that week, but it's going to grow over time because it's never going to go out of style. Like you said, like my most popular or the highest generated revenue was a video called how to start an online store. That is never going to go away. You know, like people are always going to be looking for that. So in my summer 2021 week in Miami, like in the spring, no one cares. Like the next month, no one cares. So I love what you said about evergreen content. Like I can't stress it enough. It's so, 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 so important. That's so cool that you look at your analytics and you broke it down like that. And it just goes back to the consistency and frequency as well, right? Um, If you can be Mm -hmm. more consistent about evergreen content, sometimes that takes more thought manage the frequency of blogs and things like that. You can set yourself up to really have what I like to call YouTube gold. It's like, it just sits there and it just continues to generate passive revenue. And that's amazing. You don't have to do anything. And then you can amplify with engagement and things like that. So thank you for sharing all of that. It's super, super interesting. Yeah. And where do you see the creator economy going? Like, I know it's changing a lot now. I mean, people are talking about web three a lot too. People, the more and more people are entering the creator space. Like, what do you see the future of the creator economy? I see creators as the future of small businesses in America. Candidly, you know, back in the day, you would open a business on the street corner and you try to get the corner locations, you get the most foot traffic. And then we migrated to online businesses and you're trying to optimize for SEO search. And now you're seeing businesses that start on Instagram and TikTok. And it's about your followership. It's about the people that are engaged with you and connecting with them. And that's just a totally different way of thinking about things. And I think we're just going to see more of that over time. And, you know, what I, what I really see is this kind of opening up like a cottage industry almost of goods. Like, why do you have to buy something from the gap if you can buy something from a creator that really represents who you are? Like, I have creator swag and every time I wear it, I feel pretty like dope. I feel connected. <laughs> you know, I feel like I'm part of something that's different versus something that I don't really relate to. And I think we'll see that continue to extend from not only merch, right, clothing, but to furniture or art and just really thinking about how you express yourself by connecting with people that you relate to for some reason or other. So I am very long at a creator economy. And I think, you know, again, that these are going to be the future business of America. And, you know, we are really excited about powering that growth. On the second side, you know, where's Web3 and all that, you know, it's really interesting. Just some stats like OpenSea, which does a lot of NFTs, has, I think, 300,000 users, which is, it's like a tiny drop in the bucket, right? And, you know, I think on the coast or in certain communities, it's easy for us to see Web3 and think it's like immersing the country. But the reality is like, if you go to most places outside of those bubbles, they're like, what are you talking about? Like, that's just not their world. And I think there's still so much opportunity for Web2 and creators to saturate that, let alone Web3, that 
you know, I do think that it's very interesting and obviously relevant, but, you know, I don't see that as being the core thrust over the next few years, maybe over time. I think there's still so much opportunity in the basic economics and structures of this creator economy that, you know, you mentioned earlier, it's 10 years old, but I would even consider it to be a couple years old, right? Like if you think about YouTube and how nascent it's been, I mean, I didn't even get an iPhone until what, like 2008 or something. I don't know. Right. So I think that the next couple of years are really about just lifting up creators as businesses. Web3 might be an interesting backend mechanism for funding or, you know, developing different asset classes. But I think that the creators and how they connect to, you know, the global economy more broadly is, is really what I'm excited about and the potential for that to grow. Yeah. I like what you said about how they're small businesses and how it's going to be like small businesses of, of America, because I do think now small businesses today need to have an online presence. So even if you start as, okay, a traditional brick and mortar, traditional online store, you eventually need to become a creator, whether it's a personal brand or your business brand, but you have to become a creator. You have to be posting content. You have to be relating to your customers on social media. Like that's how you grow. And I, I mean, I think it, it's any business, like it doesn't matter. It's not just like, Oh, fashion and luxury or like lifestyle brands. Like, no, even like if you have like a lawn mowing service, like I think it'd be great if you were on social media, you know, like you might be able to discover more people in your hometown that need your services and like go viral or like, why is Duolingo posting what they're posting on TikTok? Like it has nothing to do with their app, but like they're growing rapidly just because of that brand awareness. So like, I don't know, I think that every single brand needs to be on social media. And whenever I see someone that's like not really on social media, I'm always like, oh my God, you are missing out (laughs) on so much free advertising. Like you just never know who you're going to reach. And like, I do think that those people need to become creators. And that's, that's, I think we'll be seeing that even more in the future, like you said. I agree. I mean, I don't underestimate though how hard it is to do that well. Like it's free advertising, but it's actually really hard. And you know, I'm saying this personally, because as we develop our own online brand and our online presence, um, it takes a real skill. And I think this just goes back to the fact that creators have real skills, they're real businesses, and some are going to build merch and other types of things around them, but others are going to enable like a whole set of of services. So, you know, I'm with you and it's going to be interesting to see this convergence of physical stores going online and then online stores going physical, right? Like take Mr. Beast, he started off videos and then the Mr. Beast burgers, right? Through delivery. But I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if one day there's like a Mr. Beast burger chain, right? And so I I think it's interesting to think about that evolution. Mm -hmm. And I know you have a lot of creators that back you guys and that like really believe in what you guys are doing. How did you get, you know, these top creators like Mr. Beast, for example, Graham Stephan, Shelby Church, like how did you get them to hear about Creative Juice? be interested in creative juice and like how do you then maintain that like loyal connection with these like top creators I think you know I have to give my co-founder credit there um Ezra he's with Night Media and they've done a tremendous job of just paving the way for these top creators to think about themselves as businesses and be super innovative in different ways and so me coming from financial services not knowing a lot of this like I really relied on Ezra for those relationships and What I'd say about, you know, Graham and and Mr. Beast and Shelby is that they're such pioneers in how to think about themselves as businesses, and they really understand the power of that. And so we're really grateful that they're part of this, that they're out there helping us build trust with creators, because the more people that can see themselves in a Shelby church, right? She just did her Rocket Club merch and, you know, talk about the Airbnb stuff, which is just so interesting. And Graham and Mr. Beast is just this pioneer of thinking about himself as a business, like the more possible it looks to become for just other types of creators. And so 
it's really neat to see these legendary creators, I'd say, paving the path and really being willing to support smaller creators and seeing them come along as well. Mm -hmm. And these creators, like you said, they did pioneer the way. I think like they're one of the first ones that really started treating themselves as a business and like really scaled it to another level. What do you think they did that's like more unique than, or not, I, I wouldn't say more unique, but what do you think that they do that separates them that other people can start to do if they're listening to this and kind of want to start treating themselves more like a business? I think the first step is simply think about yourself like a business. It goes back to just because you're creative or you're creating content doesn't mean that the numbers don't matter or that the analytics don't matter. Like think about both things together. Uh, both Graham and Shelby have done the videos breaking down their analytics and talking about how much they've earned. Um, it just shows that they're in there. They're thinking about the money side of things as well as the content side of things. And Mr. Beast does this as well, right? He's just a businessman. He understands that you have to invest back in your business. And he's talked about this as well, where all of the money he made just plowed it back into the business because he knew he needed to do that in order to grow. And that's very much of a business mindset. So I think number one is really think about yourself like, like a business, set up a bank account, um, start thinking about your taxes in a responsible way, like start thinking about the content that generates the most revenue. Obviously, like follow your passion and do what's really meaningful to you. But if you want to make this a business, you can't shy away from the fact that money is involved. Money can be a great thing that lets you actually do the thing that you love to do. So I'd say that's the number one thing. Think about yourself like a business, open a business bank account. I hope with creative juice, think about investing back into your business, managing your cash flow, um, and think about the analytics along with the revenue. It's okay. It's not a bad thing. It doesn't take away your creative powers to think about that. And I really hope more and more creators will think of them like a yin and the yang where they complement each other and they feed into each other. And that harmony will really grow the creative economy over time. Yeah, that's so interesting because people do think that like it's one or the other. Like, oh, you can't care about the numbers. You only have to have a passion for this and you only have to, you know, care about your followers and like if they like your content and like the creative side of things, like don't even look at the numbers. Numbers don't matter. And then there's the other side when it's like, oh, well, I'm only in it for the money. And like, that's not good either. So I, I love what you said about how it's a yin and yang where they have to complement each other. Like, I mean, this is people's living, you know? It's like what they what they do to, to make a living. And it's also, if you want like better content and you want, you know, more things to come out of it, you do have to reinvest back into it and you can't just like keep all of it to yourself. And then <laughs> you're not going to have a long-term success. Like it might be short-term, but it's not going to be long-term success if you don't reinvest it. And I will say that when I was originally like years ago, signing up for a business bank account, it was so hard explaining to people why I needed one, like what I did. And, you know, and, why I needed to open one, like even to accountants, to the bank. And so I will say that it's really, really great that you guys have Creative Juice because I'm a user of Creative Juice. If anyone's listening, I have a bank account with Creative Juice and it is really, really smart. It's incredible. I think it's one of those things that's like, like you said, like finally this is out there because a lot of people don't view it as like a traditional job or they don't really understand what you're doing. And so it's nice to not only have the financial backing of like having a bank account and a business bank account, but also seeing all of your analytics in, in one place along with your money, like right there. So you really can't avoid the fact that it is a business, like you said. Yeah. Thank you, Natalie. We love having you as part of our community. Like, like I said, I think you are such a model for so many creators and there's so much we want to do for creators to make the business side seem less scary, right? Like you don't have to be in QuickBooks. Like I know QuickBooks can feel intimidating. I mean, it's intimidating to me, right? And so being able to tag your transactions, understand how much money you're making and what your expenses are over time, 
that's such a powerful piece of information because then you know how much money you're going to have, right? And you can plan accordingly. And so making that feel very intuitive is, is really important to us. I think, again, creators are so different because it's not like they start off as these massive businesses or massive corporations shot as a person. And so the more that we can enable one person to feel like the barriers of entry are lower, that it's very doable and that we have your back, like the more I hope people can see this as an opportunity for themselves to be a full-time creator. I was talking to another creator and he has a business partner. And so it's the two of them, one's more creative and one's more business and they're yin and yang. And I was asking the more creative one, um, you know, what would you have done if you hadn't met him? Like, would you have felt like you could do this by yourself or how would you do it? And he's like, I'd probably be doing content at like Fox media or something and be really sad. (laughs) And I was like, wow, that's so sad. I want people to feel like they can harness that creativity and that the business side seems doable. So we want to be that business partner and make everything seem really doable. Yeah. I mean, I think that you're doing a great job at that and I'm so excited for your success and like seeing where you guys grow. So before we go, what is your like vision for creative juice and like where where do you see it going? Uh, look, I, I think we're starting with the creative economy. There's so much for us to do here to make them feel like they understand their income and their expenses in one place and then to finance them. You know, we have some exciting news coming out soon, um, but we want to do a lot more to put some juice back into the creative economy and to help businesses grow. Again, you can't grow a business without investment. And what's really amazing about the creative economy is that so much of it has been bootstrapped. Like you said, traditional banks, they're like, what? You make videos on YouTube and you want a loan? Like, no, that's not happening, right? And, you know, we think we have some really cool um, financial products that will help creators be able to access some of that liquidity and invest it back into their business because we believe in creators. And I'm really excited to just power that whole economy. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Seema, for coming on my podcast. I loved speaking with you. It's always nice speaking with you because I feel like we have a lot of similarities in what we're doing. And we really, really believe that creators are their own businesses and they are entrepreneurs. So I loved having you on the podcast. Where can they find Creative Juice? Where can they find you to connect? Um, and where can they open up a bank account? Getjuice.com. <laughs> or just email us at hi at getjuice, but getjuice.com, super easy. Just log in and get started. And thank you so much awesome. for having me, Natalie. I really appreciate of it. The time. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of The Real Real. I hope that you enjoyed and don't forget to rate, review, follow, or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can follow me personally on Instagram at Natalie Barbu and the podcast at The Real Real Podcast. I'll see you next Monday. Hey, my name is Lovan Rumpf, and I've been working my ass off as a celebrity stylist by day and a podcast host by night. At the Low Life Podcast, it's all about keeping it real. We're talking fashion, beauty, to religion, sex, drugs, mental health. I mean, there's no topic off limits here, and vulnerability is mandatory. You can find my podcast, The Low Life, that's L-O, no W, everywhere and anywhere you listen to your podcasts. New episodes are out every Thursday. We'll see you then. Hey there, my name is Renee Rena, and I am the mom friend you have always wanted. I am also the host of the Mom Room Podcast. We publish two episodes per week, a co-hosted episode on Tuesdays and a solo episode on Thursdays. Popular topics include pooping and having sex after giving birth. 
I have a solo episode where I talk about not sharing a bed with my husband and why that's okay. I hope you'll tune in to these conversations every week. Join us on Instagram at the mom room podcast and start to feel a little less alone in this crazy thing called motherhood.